Let's do it again. Right. I don't know what it is. I can't make my heart feel like that. When did you write this? Earlier today. You can't make your heart feel like what? I don't know. Well, try and think about it. You can't make your heart feel like what? Full, I guess. Like, some of it's missing. Speak now, streets are flooded. Hearts loud, we feel it in our blood. And now our hearts beat loud. Just a bunch of words. I'm not even sure it means anything. Meaning, shmeaning. I want it that way. They want what? What way? Doesn't, doesn't matter. Hits Wait, on. I'm sorry. Are you bringing up the Backstreet Boys in reference to my lyrics? All due respect, it's actually a pretty good song. Mm. Oh, come on. How did you get to be such a music snob? I wonder. This is a mood piece. It just has to have a feeling. This has feeling. Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host, Mike. And today we're talking about another forgotten gem, uh, Brett Haley's Hearts Beat Loud. And it actually was on my radar as soon as it popped up uh, as one of the new releases. I was like, oh, that looks wonderful because I like Nick Offerman. I want to see him in more things. And it, it just seemed like a, a pleasant time. I'm glad I got to it, and I'm and it just happy accident that I watched it, and then you mentioned it uh, shortly after uh, for this trilogy, and I thought, yes, absolutely, let's do it. And one of the things I want to immediately talk about, um, back in 2006, a French thriller called Tell No One came out. I don't know how many people saw it, but I went and watched it theatrically, and there was a gay character in it, and... I thought it was going to be like this big plot point, like, oh, this character is gay. Turns out the character is just gay. And that's the end of it. And it was just, uh, you know, you move right along. And I immediately thought, oh, how European. Like, you know, they can have, <laughs> you know, they can have a, a character of a different uh, sexual orientation and uh, we're not even going to mention it. And fast forward to 2018, over a decade, the fact that uh, a character is. Uh, biracial or gay or whatever has no bearing on the plot. And that's something that the director um, kind of wanted to make sure to have. And he wanted to tell this specific story. Uh, and, and even in the behind the scenes stuff, he mentioned that I'm I'm a straight white male. And so uh, it's not as interesting for me to just talk about or tell a story about my background i'm way more interested in other people's and so he was really happy to tell this story and it's just another aspect of the film that i think is so wonderful 
and and it's totally organic in every way. Um, I I really enjoyed Hearts Beat Loud uh, on a visual and on an aural level. Uh, what did you think about it? Well, I'm pro lesbians in film, Web. You don't have to <laughs> apologize to me for that. <laughs> I <laughs> believe I've had that particular. Uh, I don't know if you'd call it a political stance uh, since uh, I was a young lad, but uh, I'm always for it. Uh, but that would be very misleading. This is not like a Brian De Palma type joint. This is very <laughs> no. sweet. It is like, you know, the is first... it wild things, <laughs> not wild things. It is the, you know, uh, more of like a, uh, first, uh, kind of crush type feeling, uh, sweetness to it. As far as the romance angle, uh, a little bit of a, uh, maybe more bitter, uh, side of that as far as Tony Collette. And uh, Nick Offerman here, uh, you know, doesn't maintain that consistency of sweetness because, uh, you know, adult relationships are more complicated. It made me feel kind of nostalgic for that uh, heightened interest. And the, the flip side of that is also the like the crushing blows you take in your youth because it's like you're all consumed by like this one person who could possibly steer your life. And, you know, when you get older, you kind of look back at those things as silly, but you also kind of respect that ability to be all in on something. And that's kind of what the film's about. It's about the things I think that we seemingly agree upon as being worthy of going all in. And for once having a character, uh, in this case, the daughter, uh, point out that maybe that's not the best idea. Maybe that is, you know, in our last week's episode, we talked kind of briefly about alcoholism with the, the Will Ferrell character. And here, while there is, <laughs> there's alcohol involved, mainly because of Ted Danson, that evil pusher that he is, <laughs> attending bar. Can we not cast him for any more bartending roles? <laughs> I actually had the thought that it seemed like that part was like written for Sam Elliott because Brett Haley likes to use the same people again because... Uh, he went from I'll See You in My Dreams uh, with Blythe Danner as the lead who falls for Sam Elliott. Uh, the next film was The Hero, where Sam Elliott uh, is the lead who g gets his weed from the Nick, a Nick Offerman character, uh, who now is the lead. And it just felt like uh, that that was the, the age, that was the guy that you would have behind the bar. Uh, not saying it's better or worse. In this instance, it's the father who was in a band with this young, his daughter's uh, mother, and it seems like he's never gotten past that, which is weird because he actually, his life still resolves in a more practical sense around music. Uh, and you have other people trying to support that. You have Tony Collette, who's his landlord, that's saying, uh, I'll become your business partner to, to keep this record store open. It's a cool place. Like, it's a cool place, and you're a cool person, and you've raised a great daughter and let's make that dream happen but he doesn't want it anymore he has he has a kind of a defiant stance where he's like i no longer want to basically sell other people's dreams i want to make my own this is all leading in a direction where uh i think it would be it could be kind of pat and it could be like okay we've seen this before with this father daughter making this band and they have like a, that thing you do type moment where they're running down the street. Uh, instead it's, it's Ron Swanson in a coffee shop holding up a poor barista's phone. Like that's me on Spotify. <laughs> that's <laughs> you're listening to me. Uh, that would be the more modern, uh, trilogy and theory moment. <laughs> where we Grab someone's iPhone. <laughs> that's us. <laughs> that's you're listening to me. I would totally get that. Uh, I did another podcast on this where uh, uh, another one of the, the co-hosts 
uh, really disliked uh, the daughter played by uh, Kiersey Clemens here uh, because of that. Uh, I guess she was just basically a buzzkill in that regard. And I don't know if that comes from a rooting interest for this father daughter dynamic to like, I want to watch a movie to see those dreams come true, not where dreams get taken to their logical point, but then real life, you have to kind of go on with other dreams that come into the picture. I actually really like that aspect of the movie that they don't become this new sensation. Uh, instead it just serves, uh, to get this father and daughter even closer and kind of honor, uh, his wife, her mother's memory, but life goes on. This isn't, this is not the, the rah, rah ending here. I, I really dug that. I agree. And it's kind of the role reversal where the father is kind of the child and the child is really the responsible one. Mm-hmm. Much like poor Seymour, <laughs> I <laughs> saw... first and last name. <laughs> poor Seymour. <laughs> Ghost world. <laughs> I see, I guess, a, a, a future in which I'm that way with my child, where I'm the irresponsible father who like always wants to do the fun stuff. Um, Will it be so a podcast? <laughs> forcing her to sit down and record. A hundred percent. Be like, yeah, that's where I'm going to be like, look, AV Club said that we are, you know, we're on this list. I have a sad story on that. Not a sad story, but just just a cold splash of water. So previously on this very feed was a show called War Machine vs. War Horse, which is how you and I met. You know, you, I don't know if you listened. I don't know if we engaged on Twitter. I have no idea how the origins of those things actually happened, even though we lived it. But that's the first time we actually talked. First time we saw each other over Skype. Uh, talk of movies. Creep show, I think, as we've mentioned before. So War Machine vs. War Horse was featured on Mental Floss, on their YouTube channel, on their website, something like that. And so I saw the number spiked. And I, I I, did not have the Nick Offerman where I had anyone to share that with. I was just like, well, this has to be a mistake. Something wrong with Lipson. <laughs> <laughs> and I went days and just didn't – I just was like, well, they'll, they'll fix that glitch. Uh, until someone on Twitter pointed out, like, hey, you've been featured on this video, which is the like, oh, okay, so that's what it is. It was cool. It was a cool moment, and there was gained a lot of listeners from that. But the sad thing, and probably why I, I like the way this movie sort of resolves that the highs and then the lows, is that, you know, not that I had a crashing defeat about it, but my life pretty much remained unchanged. Like, life still goes on. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, there was no, like, and that was the end of one segment of, life, of my life, and now it's on to the next chapter. They just kind of meld together where that was like a cool thing and you know some more people checked us out hopefully they stuck with us up to this point but yeah that was uh that was it um so now i'm really hating on this movie because i didn't get to fucking have that <laughs> at a public coffee shop you know <laughs> it was just just me sitting at an imax saying like that doesn't look right and then logging <laughs> off <laughs> and you know that that's one of the scary things about reality 
you've got the status quo and every now and then you'll have your peaks and valleys, the highs and lows, but there's always an equilibrium where everything kind of settles in for the most part. If you look at something like Fight Club, and I often remember uh, the narrator or Tyler Durden, I don't remember which one. Um, oh, I guess both. But, spoiler. How dare the... you? <laughs> 1999, come on. <laughs> one of the key themes is we're brought up to think that we're all going to be rock stars and that's just not the reality we're everyday people and and i guess that's a harsh thing to face because you're right you know oftentimes all the little scribbles that we do get put up on those refrigerators and oh my gosh this is wonderful and you're told that each child is special and while on a biological level that is very much true no one has your dna even identical twins on their DNA, there are methylation patterns that are unique, and we will have... Sorry, now I'm just like... <laughs> real nerdy. Nerdy and animated. <laughs> really getting to my like hardcore <laughs> DNA background. Um, I got this damn degree. Let me use it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it's difficult when that reality hits in that you're not going to be this famous YouTube star. Uh, my wife, who is an after-school teacher for uh, our county... She asked one of the students, like, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? I think he's like in the fourth or fifth grade. And he said, I want to be a YouTube star. The reality is that very few even make it. And and that's where I want to make sure to tell my kid, like, I, I can't be Frank. I can't be Nick Auberman. I, I got to be uh, well, Samantha. I certainly sit somewhere in the middle because, like, yeah, like if you'd asked me when I was younger, I'd I would have said, uh, although when I was in fourth grade, I think I said probably like truck driver or something. When they asked, <laughs> when they asked me why, I was just like, I just like to see a lot of different things. I don't want to be like That's stuck great. somewhere. It was, and it was like, you know, very practical answer. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I'm sure for most of my teen years, it would have been like, oh, I'd love to direct movies or write movies or actually just do anything with movies. And I keep trying to get you to fucking watch High Fidelity. Uh, I always say it because I always quote it back to you. And there's a scene in High Fidelity, um, kind of the through line of that movie is they do top five lists on everything. That's like the sort of parlor game of working at that record store. So it ties in. We're talking about record shop movies. And there's a, a character that, uh, you know, finds this list that he's making, uh, our main character played by John Cusack of, uh, top five jobs like that with Shad. And I keep mind, much like Nick Offerman here, he owns his own record shop. And I think uh, maybe I'm just using an excuse for another Seinfeld reference, but I'm pretty sure he has architect is one of the five <laughs> jobs. <laughs> uh, it's a little art Vandalay action there. And the character says, I don't see like record shop owner on this list, but you have like bass player for this band, uh, record executive, uh, band manager. It's like, this is the only one that's not music related. Uh, wouldn't you cross that off and put record store owner on there? And he's like, yeah, probably. And it's this way of like, so you just want to like kind of be surrounded by whatever it is you're passionate about. And that's okay too. I guess I disagree with the Nick Offerman character. I'm not trying to justify like my own personal failings in life of not directing, you know, the winter soldier or something like that. I saw someone like speaking of a YouTube star, uh, there was a video I watched, uh, and it's someone that does like tech reviews and he, in the middle of like talking about a fucking iPhone or something, 
he was like kind of explaining how he came to his process of doing this video and how he wanted to be a filmmaker, a great filmmaker, like the Russo brothers. And I was like, Oh my God. Like, I was just like, but, wow. <laughs> I'm not watching wow. any more of your iPhone talk, sir. Cause you have terrible <laughs> taste. <laughs> so I'm not trying to justify not being uh, a Russo brother there because uh, I don't share their DNA and web web would then explain that to me. I'm not opening that door again <laughs> for you. I disagree with Offerman character in that. It's like, dude, you kind of are, it's tangentially related, but you're also surrounded by what you love and you can't even see that anymore. So I, that's also why I think it's such a, it's not a depressing film at all. Like, I mean, there are moments of conflict in that regard, but it's, uh, you called it a warm hug in our text threads. I like that description of it. It's sort of like a warm embrace of all the things that you love. You know, it's, he loves his daughter. He loved his wife. He loves music. Um, and in some ways I think he loves Ted Danson, the bartender. He, he actually does like his life. He just doesn't realize it. He's, it's like, yeah, sometimes you can just get so used to that. This is your life. You're like, well, there's gotta be something better. And that's sad. And it's like, you have, someone has to shake you out of that to make you realize like you have gone through steps to surround yourself with things you love. Just, you just need to remember that. And that's 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 my positive take on not uh, being a Russo brother. How's that, Web? We're such, God, we're such strange creatures. We can never really be happy. I feel like we're always trying to be happy and doing everything to not be happy. And one of the reasons this film is so fucking smart is there's one event that kind of looms over the entire film, and that's the death of uh, Sam's mother. It's never... Explored in a very obvious way, but it's done incredibly with such care and subtlety. One of my favorite things about this film and, and the way that it tackles that death and that loss is Sam learning how to ride a bicycle because that's how they lost her. Riding a bike is just something, it's almost like a rite of passage that every kid should go through. Every now and then you'll meet somebody who's like, oh, I never rode a bike. You're like, oh, you, you really missed out on a specific experience. And very much like that, having a mother or, uh, I guess a second mother or second father if you were brought up by, uh, gay parents. Either way, having that second person there to go to is something that no one should be deprived of. And, and they're single parents who do a great job, and that's great. But for the most part, you see two parents more often than not. Nick Offerman's character, Frank, can't give his daughter that experience. And so that's why I think Rose, Sasha Lane's character, is so important. She's able to give Sam that experience and give almost a sense of closure to the death of her mother. 
in a really wonderful way by giving her that rite of passage. And Frank, because he's not able to do that and he sees that that's what happened. And, and, and that's where the two characters are in, I guess, the height of their conflict at that point in the film. And that's why to the person who's not really appreciating that aspect of it, the, the fact that, oh, she's just learning how to ride a bike. No, that's a really important feature in this film. It's a really important thematic moment for both of them that he wasn't able to give that to her. And this other lovely person, Rose, was... I think this is the father in you coming out on this. I think so. I think it is. I think it is. And so it's kind of showing me a lot of different uh, futures. And then hopefully I'll never have to go through, you know, such kind of hardship. All of it kind of wonderfully coalesces. I think we all kind of get together and it ends, the film ends in this wonderful concert. And it's really funny because... I look at something like Bohemian Rhapsody, where like that film also kind of leads up to this epic concert, this real life concert that happened. And the one that happens in this tiny record shop with a smattering of people is so much more meaningful and earned. It's funny. You went to Bohemian Rhapsody. I was going, I'll, I'll play the hip card. I went to uh, Shut Up and Play the Hits, the uh, documentary on LCD sound system. Their, their last quote concert before i think three years later they're like all right we're coming back it's like break up <laughs> that's just a reasonable break between albums like what are you what are you doing um i i there there's a uh i think a line from one of their songs uh that opens that film where it's like you know if this something like if this has to be a funeral like let's make it like you know the best funeral that sort of thing like and that's that's something that they're kind of doing here this concert is uh we're getting ready to shut the store down and music will no longer be a professional part of this man's life. And that's something that he may have to set aside that he's not, he's just an amateur. You know, much like, you know, we are, we're, we're hobbyists talking movies here. Like we have, <laughs> and you and I, we probably do our fair share of talking about movies on the clock as well, as well from our <laughs> respective states as we're texting each other. But it, it is something that he, does set aside, but there is hope that, you know, music is no longer a professional thing, but now it's a familial bond he has with his daughter. It's what he had with his wife. That's how they, they met yeah. uh, shows together. Uh, and you see them, you see them distant. She, she goes off to school, but they're still through, you know, the, the greatness that is technology through iPhones. If that poor young YouTube star can just accept that he's giving something to the world that is not Captain America related. Uh, <laughs> these two are able to, to create, together uh that's the that's the arc that i really like the most because i even with my podcasting stuff i've never i've never liked anyone <laughs> i don't like people tweeting at me anyway but like i've never <laughs> liked people <laughs> tweeting at like the podcast accounts and just uh, assuming that it's like okay i'm gonna talk you know mike mike what do you think of this movie and i'm like no man i'm in i'm in a band i'm in trilogy in theory the band. It's me and Webb. It's our collective voices together that make this. And it wouldn't sound any other way if it wasn't just me and Webb. You bring another voice in, like, you know, if Dave from Podcast was directed by was in here, it'd, it'd be garbage. It'd be, <laughs> the magic would be lost. <laughs> but, you, you know, it's, it's this thing that only works and comes out this particular way. It's not better, not necessarily worse. Because it's just the two of us and those conversations we have on this one particular night about this this film, and that's that's the happy ending for me of this movie. That it's like that's continuing between the two. Uh, it starts with her 
creating on her own and him almost having to kind of like interject himself into like, what is that you're playing? What is that mm-hmm. to something where she's freely sharing uh, with some degree of confidence? Here's what I've made. What can you add to this? And I feel like that's yeah. kind of what we do here. Not saying I'm like your daughter, Webb, because she's already on a fast <laughs> track to having far more marketable skills than I <laughs> ever would. <laughs> One of the things that I really appreciate about this concert is exactly all the things that you're saying is that the filmmakers allow this concert to kind of occur unedited for the most part and in full. It's not a montage. It's not something that they kind of shortened at all, but we are there for that experience. That creation that the two of them worked on uh, so diligently and so lovingly as you, as you described it, it's like we get to experience that with the rest of that audience in this going out of business sale. And we got to have that experience with them. And so and they I, weren't even really... aware. The customers weren't even aware that they were <laughs> attending a yeah. concert. They're just look. they're like me and you, they're looking for the dollar bin. Like what, <laughs> what can I <laughs> run away from <laughs> this man's failure? I'll profit off of it <laughs> by adding more shit. <laughs> yeah. And didn't they, and, um, I may have this wrong, but didn't they actually just shoot it? With them just performing? Uh, it wouldn't surprise me, though, because it just has such a wonderful, like, honest quality it has an energy to, to it. it. Yeah, absolutely. And if, if all of this, everything that we've discussed, the, the very touching father-daughter uh, relationship, all those themes about going back to your past, latching on to something, and not realizing that you have the good... All, if all of that wasn't a sign that this film was kind of like, hey, this is made for you, dummy. For me, <laughs> the end of the film, you've got uh, uh, Nick Offerman and Tony Collette discussing the album by Animal Collective, uh, Meriwether Post Pavilion, I believe. And the song that they're like, oh, isn't it an amazing song? Is My Girls. And... I love that song so much. Um, I loved it before I had a wife and a daughter, and I would listen to it, and I, I would, I would often think about what it would be like to have a wife and a daughter. And so, like when I say this movie was like a warm hug, this is absolutely what it was. Very much like Everything Must Go. I feel like this film is going to be another one that I'm going to revisit often. And it also doesn't hurt that the soundtrack is just wonderful. The heart is what it is You stood in the heart staring back oh, oh. I don't know what it is I can't make my heart
Not so simple just to sell out all those 